0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. It's based on Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word for today.
1: Well, good morning, Acts Church. There we go. If we haven't met yet, I am Pastor Josh, and I'm just thrilled that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, before we dive into the message, we're going to open up with some prayer. So I'd invite you guys to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who has good for his children. Lord, we pray that as we wrap up the series on head trash, the lies that we tell ourselves, uh, the lies that we get caught up in, Lord, that uh, you continue to build a foundation of truth and of love. And of your grace in our life, that we may leave here to share that same love uh, with those you bring into our lives. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So again, we're in a series called Head Trash. Let's see if this will go. There we go. Uh, and Head Trash came from a conversation I had with a mentor of mine about five years ago now. I was a pastor up in Madison, Wisconsin. And I was in his office, and I said, hey, is there anything in my ministry that's kind of stopping me from taking that next step of where God wants to lead our church? And he said, you know, Josh, the biggest challenge I see in your life is you've got some head trash that you haven't dealt with. And I had never heard of that concept before, so I dug a little deeper. I said, well, what's head trash. And he said, well, it's any lie that you believe that stops you from following God. And that concept, that idea that, you know what, all of us have lies in our life really resonated with me. And that's where this sermon series has come from. And so we've dealt with issues like shame, insecurity, and resentment. And for sure, I've had all of those in my life. But the big bad demon in my life is anxiety. And we were supposed to start with anxiety, but irony of irony, one of the things that gets me most anxious, in fact, the first time I ever had a panic attack, was a Saturday night, my throat was getting raw, and I thought I wouldn't be able to preach the next day. And so I'm at a wedding, we're having a great time, I freak out, I think I'm getting sick, we get in the car, we're driving back, I calm down, and Erica looks at me and she goes, Josh, you just had a panic attack. And I'm like, oh... So this is about four years ago now, and I would love to tell you that everything is fine now and I never have any anxious thoughts anymore, but my wife can also attest that is not true. In fact, if we are going to get into an argument that I've started nine times out of ten, it's coming from a place where I'm anxious about something completely different. I'm anxious about the house. I'm anxious about money. I'm anxious about our family. But that anxiety wells up and that does not bring out the best in me, right? And all of a sudden, we'll start to squabble, we'll start to bicker because I'm believing a lie and that lie is producing fruit in other ways. And so today we're going to talk about anxiety and we're going to use this as a definition. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with, and this is the big line here, An uncertain outcome or future. We talk about anxiety, what we're talking about is the future is unknown. There is something that we are concerned about with our job, or with a family member, or with our house. There is some future that we are no longer in control of, and that uncontrol creates this feeling of anxiety, this feeling of distraughtness, this head trash, this lie that something bad is going to happen. And we spend a lot of resources and mental bandwidth thinking about this thing in the future, right? The irony of this is thinking about this thing, worrying about this thing, actually makes us dumber. And this is, this is physiological. There was a study out of Harvard and they were looking at scarcity and the idea of what happens when we worry we don't have enough. And so they had an IQ test with two groups. A control group that literally just took the IQ test, and then a second group that took the exact same test but had one question to start off. And that question was, if you had a $3,000 car payment tomorrow, could you pay for it? So if your car broke down and you had a $3,000 payment, could you afford it, right? So that was the only thing and then you took the exact same test. That one question, created a 14-point IQ drop. That is the difference between a superior intelligence and an average intelligence, or an average intelligence and a borderline deficit. Right? Literally worrying about a future problem. And mind you, this isn't a true thing. It wasn't like they were actually breaking into these people's cars and doing damage. This was a hypothetical, could you do this? And just that clogged up the bandwidth and made them less able to solve problems in the future, to think about the future. Because anxiety, literally what it does, is it's a head trash that expands, and it takes up space. It doesn't bring out the best in us. It doesn't bring out the best in our thinking. But the reality about anxiety is it's actually a very natural emotion when confronted with an unnatural world that we live in. We live in a fallen, broken world. There's stuff that's out of control. The last 24 hours, right? There's stuff that's out of control. Two mass shootings. 24 hours. The world is broken. That is true. And we are not in control of it. That is true. And if those are the only two truths that you have in your head, then you believe a lie. Because if you're not in control and the world is out of control, then you actually should be anxious. I have very good reason to worry about my house, worry about my family. But the truth is that there is someone who is in control. That God doesn't want us to have to believe that lie, to let that lie take up space in our head, rent space for free. God has something better for us, and that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. He says, look out, consider the ravens, consider the birds. They don't reap, they don't sow, they're not out there on tractors, they have no storerooms or barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you can worry, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you can't do that very little thing, why do you worry about everything else? Instead, consider the wildflowers that are growing. Think about Texas in the spring. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even King Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will God clothe you? You of little faith. So do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. The first thing Jesus says when he's talking about anxiety is he takes a deeply personal issue and he pulls us outside of ourselves, right? Because when we're anxious about something, when we're fearful about an outcome or a reality, what tends to happen is we internalize it and it bounces around in our head and it just stays there, right? And we think, well, this could go wrong, which means that this could go wrong and then it means that this could go wrong, which means that this could go wrong and it literally just bounces back and forth like a tennis ball. It's a deeply personal thing and so Jesus' first response says he takes us outside of ourselves, He says, look at creation. Look at all the life around you. The birds, the livestock, the trees. It's all alive, it's all vibrant because there is a creator God who is in control of it. And sometimes when it comes to anxiety, we can think, if I'm not worrying about it, then somehow I'm not holding it together. I kid you not. I was about 16 years old. I was on a plane, and I used to be afraid of flying. And someone asked me, Josh, why are you so worried? And I said, well, if I stop being worried, the plane might not hold up anymore. As if my worry was holding the plane together, right? As if I stop thinking about this, all of a sudden, now the situation's really gonna be out of control. But that's head trash. That's a lie, me worrying about the plane or not worrying about the plane has no effect whatsoever on whether or not it's going to go up or it's going to go down. Jesus points out, he goes, guys, first and foremost, you got to get so- outside of yourself. All right? Look around, and he provides the truth that there is a creator God who is in control. All right? But he goes on, and he says, for the pagan world, they run after all of such things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, no moths will destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Twice, Your father knows that you need them. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Once he pulls us outside of ourselves, he then gives us a personal lens to look at anxiety through. Because it's not just a creator God who is in control of anything. It's not just Zeus up there in Mount Olympus looking down and on a whim saying, well, I'm going to be nice to you today, but I'm really just going to screw with this other person. Says no, this Creator God is also your father, and like any parent who wants to give good gifts to his children, we have a father who wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants what's best for them because he loves them. Because he loves you, there's a foundational truth that you're not alone. There's a foundational truth that a creator God is both a father God, which then changes how we look and feel about the future, how we look and we deal with anxiety. So we're going to look at three tools, three ways, three methods to kind of help unpack this. And just a disclaimer here. We've gone through this series, Head Trash, and what I have talked about is not the end-all, be-all of, oh, once you hear Josh's message on shame, you should be done. You should get it. and be t- This is a small tool and a much larger issue. When it comes to anxiety, this took you years to create. It's going to take years to slowly unpack. It's taking me years to unpack. And so if you need things like counselors, awesome. Go Team Jesus. I need counselors. It might mean medication. It might mean slowly but surely talking through things with your family. But just hear me that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to give yourself grace to just take that next step forward and slowly renovate our mind, getting rid of some of that head trash. But again, here are a few tools that will help expedite that process. So this comes from Matthew, and Matthew accounts the same story of Jesus telling, hey, this is about worry, with some different words. In the same way, if you went to the 9.30 service and the 11 o'clock service, you'd hear the same idea but i talk about it a little bit differently the same thing happens with jesus as he tells the story and so luke recounts one time of jesus telling the story about uh worry matthew is going to count a different time he says and why do you worry about clothes see the flowers of the field they do not labor and spin yet i tell you that not even solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, You of little faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What shall we post on Facebook or Instagram? For the pagan world runs after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, seek his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then he adds this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough, enough trouble of its own. You see, anxiety gives us a false sense of control over the future. We think if we just think about this enough, if we just worry about this future situation, I might have some new insight that will allow me to control what is going to happen in some later date that's going to give me outcome. And so maybe I just need to add more processing power in being anxious about this thing, and it'll eventually work out. But that's head trash. That's a lie. And it strips us of the present. You see, if I'm worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or a month from now, do you know where I'm not? Here. Oh, my body's here. I'm physically in the spot, but I am not here. I'm not present, literally. My mind is somewhere else. And so Jesus' response is, guys, the gift of God is the present day. It's the reason why we pray for daily bread, right? Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to teach you how to pray and you're going to pray for a huge retirement account, right? Or a huge house or whatever it is. He says, guys, the prayer is, the promise is daily bread here and now. God will provide what you need for today, this moment, this breath. And then when the next breath comes, tomorrow will worry about itself. But he does say each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we do have an opportunity not to control the future, but to influence it from the present. Right? So we can make good decisions now and here that might actually ripple out and influence whatever future we're trying to get to. And that is the gift from God. So that doesn't mean, well, I'm not in control of tomorrow, so I guess I don't have to think about it at all. No, We look at it through the lens of being present, that gift of here and now. I can actually do something that might influence, that might have positive repercussion on what's going to happen tomorrow. Tool number one. Tool number two. This comes from 1 Peter. So Peter is one of the apostles. He's writing to the early church. And he says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Now, God's grace here is God's charis, from the Greek, and charis literally means gift. So when we say the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the grace, that's what we mean spiritually, but it literally just means gift, a present, something that has been given to you. But see, oftentimes, anxiety stems from a place where we take the steward of God's gifts to the owner of the gifts. And if we own it, then we have to worry about it. Kind of a funny story. I was 16 years old. I was being a little punk. My grades weren't where they were supposed to be. I was talking back to my parents. And so my mom and my dad, they walk me up into my room. And they sit me down and say, Josh, what is in this room? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, what's in the room? Tell us the items that are in the room. And so I started listing through all the items in the room. And I said, well, that's my TV, and that's my PlayStation, and those are my toys, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they said, okay, so you got all the items right. You got the possessive wrong. I said, what do you mean? They said, see, Josh, that's not your TV. That's our TV that we let you have. That's our PlayStation that we let you have. I said, well, no, 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 that's my money. And my parents said, no, legally... It's all ours, and we allow you to have this because we want good things for you, but it's not yours. It's ours, and if we need to, we will take it away, and they did for a month. They literally stripped everything out of my room other than my clothes and my bed, and it was a good lesson for me that I was a steward of what I had, not the owner of what I had, But again, anxiety comes from where we have things, these good gifts from our Father that he's given us because he loves us, but we go from stewards, God, I'm supposed to care for this thing, enjoy this thing here and now, to now I have to worry about it because I own it. God has given you stewardship over your 401k. He's not given you ownership of it. God has given you stewardship of your home. He's not giving you ownership of it. God has given you stewardship over your children. He is not giving you ownership. And that's hard, right? Because that's countercultural. It's counter to what the world is telling us. But that lie then starts to have us cling to things. And in clinging to things, again, it's not going to bring out the best in us. Those lies start to take up space and then we can't be present with them because we're worried we're not going to have them in the future. Where God is saying, guys, I have the gift of the present for you today and I want you to enjoy the daily bread that I've given. But let's just take it one day at a time. One breath at a time. And then, like First Peter says, to use those gifts to serve others. To bring out the best in others. To be a good family. To love God. To love our neighbor. That's the gift we get when we realize, no, it's not ours, it's his. We just get to care for it and enjoy it. Lastly, this comes from uh, Philippians 4. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Philippi. And a little context is going to be important here because Paul is not writing from a place that we would consider is particularly nice. Paul in the book of Philippi is actually, or Philippians, is actually in prison. He's in chains. He's on his way to be executed. He's about to be under trial for his faith. And so he's writing to this church in Philippi, and he's ending it by saying this. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Now, if I am in chains, I am not writing, rejoice in the Lord always, I'm probably writing to you, hey, I need a better lawyer, right? I need some crowdfunded legal fees, right? I need you to pray that I get out of jail. Rejoice in the Lord always is not at the top of my list because I'm worried about some very specific outcomes that my head is going to be on a chopping block quite literally. That's not Paul's response. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, through petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice. And again, the peace of God will be with you. You see, anxiety when it's full-blown, makes us forget that we're not alone. All of a sudden, it's me against the world. And when it's me against the world, I have every reason to be anxious. Because I'm not in control. And in fact, my track record for making decisions is not 100%. In fact, typically, my biggest problems in life were self created decisions, right? I chose to say something, or I chose to do something, or I chose to invest in something, and all of a sudden everything goes to literal hell, right? So if it's me against the world, I'm in trouble. But again, it's a lie. You want to know why Paul could say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and then follow it up with, Don't be anxious. There's one line in there. The Lord is near. You see, the truth that Paul had in jail on his way to be executed was he wasn't alone. You're not alone. When you're at work and you don't know if the company's going to be around for another two months, you're not alone. When you're raising your children, and you're not sure if you're saying the right things or acting the right way, you're not alone. When you don't know if you should buy this house or that house, you're you're not alone. And the truth of the matter is, God is better at his job than we are better at his job, right? Think about that for a second. God is better at being God than we are at being God. That's the whole story of the Garden of Eden, right? We thought we were going to do a better job. Yeah, we know you said don't eat this fruit, but we'd rather be like you. And then everything just went cattywampus, right? Then all the fallenness and the brokenness of the world comes in. But the truth of the matter is, even when we rebelled, he said, I still want to be with you. I still want to be for you. And so the last tool, in fact, the biggest tool in our tool belt when it comes to anxiety, is simply breathing in and breathing out, God, I'm not alone. Remind me that I'm not alone. And then he invites us to actually pray, to actually bring those petitions as children to their Father. And like any good parent in this room, you want your children to know they can come to you with any concern, any fear, any need that they have. You want them to know that you love them, that you care for them, and you're fighting for them. But while as good of parents as we have in this room, you all have limits. Our God doesn't. Our Father in heaven speaks and creation changes. That's the God who fights for you. That's the God who is with you. And the biggest tool that we have, the biggest promise, the biggest truth is that you are never alone. It is never you against the world. You have a Father who is fighting for you. You have a Father who loves you. And you have a a Father who has invited you into a family of believers. That's what church is. It's not the building It's not the strip mall. It's not our budget. The church is literally the ecclesia, the gathering of people, of God's family, that he says you don't have to do it alone anymore. We have the gifts of present, here and now. We have the gifts of God's gifts here and now, the daily bread, and we have the gifts of his presence. And when we have those things, all of a sudden the world isn't so scary anymore. That doesn't mean there isn't brokenness. That doesn't mean there isn't times where we're like, wow, this situation is messed up. You're right, it is. But we have a God who invites us into that. And invites himself into those situations and says, I promise I am still moving. We're going to end our service actually inviting him in. Because again, we talked about it at the beginning. The last 24 hours has been rough. It's been really clear that we live in a fallen world. And so we as God's children are going to admit there's some hurt, there's some brokenness, and we're going to ask him to move. And we're going to ask him if and when there are opportunities in the present to be a positive influence that might affect the future, not control, but influence it, that we would have the courage, the patience, and the peace to be that influence and to move the needle. Shall pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who... Sees the brokenness of the world, sees the concerns of his children, and moves. Lord, you offer yourself as a relationship, as a father. Lord, you invite us to call out to you. And so now here in Texas and the nation, Lord, we call out to you. Lord, we've forgotten how to talk to one another. It's us versus them, whoever they are. Lord, and that rhetoric and that posture, Lord, is dividing us. And it's literally destroying communities. Lord, we come before you now asking to move and asking to give us opportunities in the present, breath by breath, to be a positive influence to bring out the best in those that you bring into our lives. Lord, there are other anxieties in this room. Lord, anxieties around our families, anxieties around our finances, our health or the health of those that we love. Lord, we invite you into those as well. Lord, we pray that we can be present with those people. That we can enjoy the gift of here and now and the confidence that we're not alone. Let me say this all in your son's precious name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at AxeChurchLeander.com.